This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. It is 6.08 in the evening. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Kelvin and it's time for our monthly show, Movers and Shakers. It's a town hall session where we invite policymakers, civil society members to come in and answer some of the most pressing questions that you have. Today with us is YB Stephen Sim, Deputy Minister of Youth and Sports. YB, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hi, thank you, Lynn, Kelvin. So before we get to our questions, if there's anything you would like to ask the Deputy Minister, call Call us at double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp us at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. You can also tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, so to start us off with, then um, maybe you can talk to us about the journey that you've been on as Deputy Minister of the Youth and Sports Ministry. What has that been like? Wow, wow. Um, yeah, it has been quite a challenging year. One year ago, uh, around July, I was appointed to this position, but. It, it is also a very exciting year because I, you know, we are now in a place where we can actually do something. In the past, I was in the opposition bench, so uh, what we can do is to shout across the aisle. But now uh, we have the power and we have the uh, resources to actually uh, realize some of the things that we have been talking about. So, what's the mandate for your ministry? Is it different to the vision of the previous administration? I think one, you know, when we first came in, uh, Sadiq the minister and myself, we agreed that uh, we'll, we'll go on a no-vengeance no, uh, policy, which means uh, if it's a good program or a policy from the past administration, we're going to continue it. So definitely there's no uh, you know, uh, cutting off a program simply because it is from the previous administration. But what we do here is this. We want to uh, uh, ensure that there is good governance, for example. So one of the first things we did was to, to say... Hey, uh, from now onwards, procurement, full transparency, open tender, etc. So that at the end of the day, I think our job as minister and deputy minister is really to set the foundation, you know, in terms of governance and management and and uh, the rest of the, uh, you know, for example, training up uh, an Olympian. That's not our job. We, we, we don't know. We don't have the... Uh, ability to do that. So what we do is to create the uh, environment, the ecosystem, the conducive environment to ensure that the coaches are able to deliver. Uh, those who are working with youth are able to do their work well. So this is, I think, our one of the key things that we did. Can we talk a little bit about the... the- <laughs> concept of the no vengeance policy simply because um, it has been um, an unfortunately slightly common thing to hear members of the government sometimes say things like oh you know um, we're unable to do xyz because of all the problems that we inherited so i would like to know i mean what has actually carried through what were the foundations that you inherited that were actually quite good and that you can still follow through on i think to be fair to some of the uh, some of my colleagues who who made such command is that uh, we have to understand that there are legacy problems that we have to deal with, and I think the people deserve the uh, the right to know what why why some programs couldn't be continued or why some things cannot be done even after the change of regime. But I'll just give you an example in my ministry. For example, the uh, Fit Malaysia program, which was a program uh, introduced by former minister Kari Jamaluddin. Uh, of course, it was a, a rebranding of an earlier program called Malaysia Chagas. We found that you know Fit Malaysia has the right. Uh, branding, especially when it comes to attracting people to uh, to embark on a healthy lifestyle. So what we did was we decided to continue the program. Uh, half of the uh, 
elements or components in the program were 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 from the previous uh, from, from the previous administration. For example, uh, the road shows. So we've been doing road shows just like what we did in the past. The difference is. When we do roadshows now, in the past, uh, one roadshow can cost up to 1.3 million ringgit. Uh, but here, uh, simply because it was uh, contracted to, say, a, a private sector event organizer. But now we decided that all these roadshows should be done in-house, should be conducted, managed by uh, youth and sports officers. We have about uh, 5,000 ministry staff who are, you know, whose job is really to do youth and, stuff, uh, youth and sports matter. So because we are doing it in-house, for each roadshow, we are, you know, it's costing us about three hundred thousand. So we are saving about eighty percent of the cost that was, uh, you know, compared to the cost last time. So, same program, but with a different perspective when it comes to management governance. Under eighteen is in the spotlight right now. The opposition is willing to support the bill, but that support comes with certain conditions, which are to make way for automatic voter registration right. and to allow eighteen-year-olds to contest in elections. Sure. So they've been added as amendments in the new bill. Were these conditions uh, did the uh, were these conditions that Pakatan saw coming? Um, you know, in actual fact, uh, the. Automatic voter registration is part of our agenda. Uh, and in fact, the Electoral Reform Committee has already uh, ha have this in the pipeline. So what we are doing now is really to uh, expedite it, actually to bring it forward. And, uh, and, and I'm actually glad that the... Uh, for this issue, on this issue, both sides of the aisle, uh, both sides of the divide, you know, especially in the midst of such uh, this very highly partisan environment today, both sides of the aisle the, the, uh, actually agreed to set aside politics to focus on national interests. So I think it's a good thing. And what do you make of these potential changes to the amendment? And what will happen once everything does go through? What impact will it all have? Uh, first thing first, uh, I think the the election commission would have uh, you know a lot on the table, especially in terms of uh, implementing automatic voter registration. It's it's not a an, an easy task. You know we've uh, we have, uh, we have spoken to the uh, what do you call the chairman of the electoral reform committee, and they said it would take at least one year. But I think in the long run, the consequence of this uh, this this uh, what do you call it this amendment is really to give voice to. To young people, to young Malaysians, you know, 18 years old are uh, considered adults in Malaysia. So we are looking at, you know, by 2023, about 3.8 million uh, young Malaysians who are 18 to 20 year olds who are adults, but you know, in the past were disenfranchised. So now they are getting a voice to be to be form, you know, to be formally integrated into the uh, democratic system of our country, the election. Well, on that note, I did want to ask this as well, which is, you know, you mentioned disenfranchised, but yeah. there are people, and whenever we have spoken about uh, lowering the voting age on the sure. show, the thing that comes up is the issue of maturity, the issue right, of right. political engagement. So sure, sure. in your experience, how would right, you describe right. the, the engagement of our Malaysian youths when it comes to politics? Uh, you know, I've been going around talking about, uh, you know, 18-year-old voting age uh, for the past one year in different forums and you know platforms and uh, <coughs> more often than not I realise that some of the uh, one of the biggest concern is about maturity but you know in Malaysia under the uh, Age of Majority Act 1971 an 18 year old is already considered an adult which means he he or she has agency he, has, he or, she, or she assume uh, full legal capacity they can go in, they can enter into contracts they can work pay taxes they can even you know uh, uh, you know, 
work or rather assume high risk jobs such as you know joining the police force fire brigade you know joining the army so it is uh it is not logical to say that you know in, in general we we expect that 18 year olds are mature enough to pick up arms to defend the country but they are not mature enough to decide who runs the country so i think that that is one but on the other hand i i also want to point out that maturity really has you know it's not really a factor of age I mean, it wasn't an 18-year-old who looked into a female member of parliament in the day one, right, and called her bochor. It wasn't definitely an 18-year-old who, you know, if they are not happy, you know, ask the Malay to balik Indonesia, Chinese, balik China, India, balik India, etc. And it was definitely not an 18-year-old who totally reversed the moral compass of our country and called corruption donation. So you can't say simply because they are 18-year-old, they are not mature enough to decide on what is right and what is wrong, right? Yeah, no, we agree. I think we have read messages that indicate that otherwise, but we certainly sure, sure. hold that position. Um, we're speaking today with YB Stevenson, Deputy Minister of Youth and Sports in our monthly Movers and Shakers Town Hall. If you have any questions at all for YB Stevenson, you can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. 900 You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back to continue this conversation. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Building Fit Malaysians, BFM 89.9. It's 6.19 in the evening. You're listening to Lynn and Kelvin. And in the studio with us today, YB Stephen Sim, Deputy Minister of Youth and Sports. Again, if you have any questions, um, whether it's about youth voting, whether it's about sports, um, whether it's about esports for that matter, you can call double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, let's start with this question from Raja from WhatsApp. Any programs for youths on young entrepreneurs? And if yes, how is that going to help the group that has no uh, political connections? Um. Well, <laughs> it's uh, you know there's a lot of uh, connotation in that one question, but uh, I think in the past people probably think that you can only get government grants or you know take part in government programs if you are connected or if you are a member of a certain political party. But this is what we want to change. That uh, you know today we want things to be transparent. Uh, you know you don't need to know who is Stephen Sim or who is Syed Sadiq. You only need to know how to use the internet to apply, say, for for example, government contract in, in the ministry. So uh, this is the direction. That we, and we want to encourage more young people to come out. In fact, one of the things that we said to our youth and sports department, Jabatan Belia and Sukan, is that we need to reach out to more than the uh, traditional youth uh, organization structure, for example, the uh, Malaysian Youth Council, which is the traditional conventional youth organization. We, because we know out there, there are many other youth movements, whether registered or non-registered, who are there actively and en- en- you know engaging youth or doing a lot of activities among the youth, but are not uh, really in the radar of the ministry. So we want them to you know reach out, so to say. But you know, specifically for young entrepreneur, uh, youth entrepreneur, we. We, you know, the ministry is one of, you know, for the last 10-20 years, we are one of the ministry which received the least allocation. So in terms of grant, we do not have a special grant for entrepreneurs. But what we do have is this, uh, what we call the uh, Young Entrepreneur Network, Y-E-N-Yen. So uh, Raja there can, you know, search online, Google Y-E-N, Young Entrepreneur Network under Kementerian Belian and Sukan. This is, uh, you know, it's a one-stop platform 
where we syndicate all sorts of government grants, uh, you know, from different agencies and different departments. And then we, you know, we advise and we give information on how to apply or how to, you know, to, to deal with these departments and agencies. And now and then the the department also, organize, uh, also organizes uh you know, courses for young entrepreneurs. For example, how do you start a business? How do you do branding? How do you register for uh, an IP or a patent, etc.? So these are some of the things that we do. You know, a lot of this information can be uh, can be searched online on our website. And going back a little bit to that uh, earlier point about younger voting, sure. Liu thinks that voting at a younger age, voters <coughs> at young at a younger age group can easily be swayed by the opposition. How would you respond? You know, uh, I'm not sure about that. But, you know, the government is indeed assuming a democratic risk. So, so this is actually... I don't think many governments in the world will actually do this because, uh, you know, at a young age, people are usually very vocal against the status quo. You know, we, are, we were 18 once. So we are actually assuming a risk because we are the status quo, we are the mainstream. So we are actually assuming this democratic risk in order to, you know, to to enrich democracy in this country. Uh, there are people also who say the young people are more prone to be affected by, say, fake news, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I answered that yesterday in another radio interview and I realised that there is actually a research, a Princeton research that was published early this year to show that, you know, ultimately, those who are prone to sharing and believing in fake news are actually those who are, you know, older, slightly older. In fact, uh, those who are age above 60s are seven times more prone to believe in fake news compared to those who are 18 years old. So, I mean, again, at the end of the day, the bottom line is it is not about, you know, maturity, making the right decision. It is not tied to age. It is a very dynamic matter. I think what is important here is that uh, the right platform is given to 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 people of different political persuasion to express their aspirations and views. So that voters at all at all age group will be able to make informed decisions. But on that note, though, because the young are more <laughs> vulnerable to uh, situations uh, with regards to the economy, you know, and you are also inheriting several problems, including sure. youth unemployment, sure. uh, stagnated wages. How will you address this when it comes to the youth votes? I think uh, you know every age, again every age group. It is a problem that affects every age group. It's not just the young, but uh, you know by by not letting them have a voice, it's it's not going to solve the problem. You know, uh, when we said eighteen to twenty year old, these are people who have direct experience. They they are directly affected by, say, education policy, especially higher education. They are directly affected by the job market because they are going into their first job. Uh, they are directly affected by, say, housing, public transport, etc. So, we want you know by alienating them from the whole process of making decision will not definitely not going to make them happier it's not going to you know not going to win any votes for the government in the long run so i think by having them involved perhaps we can also you know bring in fresher perspective from their point of view on how to resolve the matter at the end of the day Another significant amendment um, was to the Youth Societies and Youth Development this Bill. This is moving very fast. Uh, is yes. this always like this? Uh, yes, it oh, wow. actually does tend to be. <laughs> oh, wow. um, so that saw the defining age limit for youth being adjusted from 40 to sure. 30. Um, <coughs> can you take us through that? Why was the push for this strong and who is it going to affect? Right. Uh, this is this is not new because uh, you know when we look at the chronology within the ministry, uh, 
the suggestion to to reduce the age of youth from 40 to 30 or even 35 uh, was started in 2011. Uh, and then by the time uh, of uh, Minister Kyrie Jamaluddin, it was you know it, it was uh, packed at 30, 15 to 30. So it was it's not it's not a new thing. Uh, there were many different engagement that has been done in the past, uh, not just the past one year by this new present administration, but in the you know in the past uh, say uh, you know seven eight years. Uh, so this is not new. One of the key reasons is really to, it's really very logical because. We can't lump 18-year-olds and 40-years-old and call them youth. Or, or rather, 15-year-old and 40-years-old and call them youth. You know, somebody in the parliament, you know, in her debate, I remember my colleague, member of parliament for Kruang, she said, technically, if we keep the 40-year-old definition, it would mean that a father who is at, you know, who is 40 can be at the same time in the youth uh, movement together with his son who is 15. So it just doesn't really make sense. So what we want is really to reserve resources meant for youth, for the youth themselves, so that 18-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 20-year-olds do not have to compete for that resources with 40-year-olds. And at the end of the day, this is a world trend. You know, United Nations define youth as 15 to 24, even 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 more radical. So we are saying that this is something that, uh, you know, it fits into what, the progressive world trend. So we have to do this. We have to, we we, we have to have a, a more uh, global standard when when it comes to measuring and when it comes to dealing with young people. When it comes to dealing with youth. And how do you deal with the latest pushback? You know, youth organisations like the Malaysian Youth Council, uh, as well as the Entrepreneur Development Ministry, have said that they don't uh, really like the idea of limiting the age to uh, thirty. And Johor came back around mm. and uh, came around and back again. And then Selangor and Sarawak have said that they will maintain the fifteen to forty definition of youth. How do you respond to that? Is it me or the temperature is getting higher? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I think at. You know, it's not going to be immediate. The minister himself has said, you know, that we're going to do it. Uh, we, the transition period is going to be until the end of 2021. That would mean, actually, technically, um, those who are still holding position, if they are 40 years old and the the, 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 the AGM is conducted in 2021, that would mean, you know, technically it will only take effect in some youth organization by 2023 or 24. So we are looking at, you know, not just two years, you know, three or four years ahead. You know, this is going to, so that definitely there's going to be transition. Um, there are some ministries and some government agencies whose policy, uh, for example, giving grant, uh, entrepreneurial grant, you know, uh, and they set the age limit at 40. So I think it's going to be, you know, uh, it, it, they're going to be allowed to, to transition. It's not going to be like you know, tomorrow, those who are 40 will no longer get youth grant. But I think at the end of the day, we need to adopt and adapt uh, this progressive thinking about young people, is youth. And I think there is a lot of positive reception, especially from the young people themselves, because finally they are saying they can run youth movements. Mm -hmm. You know, They do not have to compete with the older ones who are probably better resourced and, you know, maybe can you better influence when it comes to uh, becoming, when it comes to running in, in, in associations, elections to be leaders. So I think we, are, we, are, we, we, allow, we allow for the periods of transition. But I think at the end of the day, I, I'm actually, you know, on one hand, uh, we are more than happy to continue to engage the Malaysian Youth Council. But on the other hand, I think as the guardian of 
youth movement in Malaysia. This is a 70-year-old organization movement. So as a guardian of youth movement in Malaysia, I think the, the Malaysian Youth Organ, uh, Council should adopt this more progressive views when it comes to youth. We're speaking today with Stephen Sim, Deputy Minister of Youth and Sports. If you have any questions, um, after this we're going to be talking about sports and esports. You can call us double seven double three two nine hundred, WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. Bole for Malaysia, ha! BFM eighty nine point nine, the business station. 6.36 in the evening you're with Lynn and Kelvin as well as YB Stephen Sim Deputy Minister for Youth and Sports if you have any questions we are moving on to the sports bit wow, of okay, that okay. Um, but if you have any questions about anything at all you can call double seven double three two nine hundred, WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio um, we did have a message that came through from Muhammad Shani Abdullah who said mm. when it comes to you know lowering that voting age shouldn't then all laws also recognise their rights to their fullest, such as the right to organise and participate in peaceful assemblies? No, of course. Uh, I think the government today recognises that uh, it is the right of people to assemble peacefully. In fact, uh, the, uh, the, university college, the University and University College Act was amended last year to allow uh, university students to take part in, in, in political parties, etc. So yeah, uh, I think uh, the right to vote must come with uh, you know all the other the other ensuing rights. You know, participating in politics, you know, being key. And we also have a question here from MZ about sports. Uh, YB, there is a rumor saying that the reason why our athletes fare poorly compared to say China is because of the vices they indulge in, namely smoking. How would you dispel such rumors? And what's your comment about such habits among our athletes? Um, athletes. Especially those who are in the national team, they they they, they go through a very strict uh, regimen. They stay in the hostel in uh, the Malaysian Sports Council, and then they go through a very tight training schedule, almost on a daily basis. In fact, uh, you know, I, I I discovered this new term. It's called passive rest. Uh, it's called active rest, which means even on their rest days, it's it's it has to be an active. You know, they have to have movements. They have to have uh, uh, exercise, workout, etc. So, in that on on that uh, aspect, I think in terms of uh, discipline, it's there. But you know, I do not. Uh, uh, you know, I, I I would not totally say that there's no there's no issues with with disciplines. We have we have received. Uh, you know, when early on when I first came in, I've received reports about. Uh, for example, gambling issues, and we have asked the uh, National Sports Council to ensure that you know athletes will uh, have to maintain the strictest discipline possible because this is not just uh, for you know to to enable them to perform in sports, but this is general uh, you know ethics that I think Malaysian athletes should have in you know in, in general. And is it also part of the job of the ministry in that sense to manage the perception problems that can stem from people going ah you can't run. That fast because you're huffing and puffing because you're smoking. You're just that kind of mindset, that kind of worry. You know, how do you manage that whole idea? I think if we were to take, you know, sometimes we take, we do, politicians do take credit for uh, wins <laughs> and medals uh, in in competition. Then we will have to take the blame too, even if there are issues. So I think at the end of the day, uh, what we want to see is this: we want to allow the technocrats, those who are experts, to be able to do their job. 
like I say at the beginning of this interview, I am not an expert. I do not know how to train Lee Chong Wei or, or another Nicole David. But what I know, what I can do is to ensure that there is good financial governance. Every single cent or ringgit that we spend on an athlete will go the value of it will go to the athletes, not you know twenty cents to somebody else in the middle here and there. And then when it goes to the athletes, there's nothing left for him. So I, my job here is to ensure that there is good policy, there's good governance, there's uh, there's sound financial management, so that at the end of the day, the real experts, the the coaches, the sports uh, officers, the technicians, the engineers, the uh, the dietitian, the therapists, they will be able to do their job to nurture uh, our next gold medalist. And our next question comes from Subra, who asks, uh, what programs are being put in place to improve sports in Malaysia? We don't have proper trained coaches for key sports in primary schools or even to conduct co-curricular activities. Um, you know, at the, at the very grassroots level, sports is not just the youth and sports ministry, but, you know, it also involves education ministry, etc. And we have to admit that uh, at this point, the... You know, the entry point to be in the national team is somehow very narrow. It all depends on whether, you know, you are in the right place or the right time. In a sense, I'm not talking about uh, abuse of power or corruption. I'm talking about, do you know, uh, were you so happen to be at that program that, you know, selects athletes to go on the next level and so on and so forth. So what we are doing here is this, for, uh, for example, in the sports of badminton, we realise that... Uh, Traditionally, you have one, it's a one path route. You know, you have to go through your school, state association, and then the federal association, which is the BAM, and then you go to the national team. But what we're trying to do is this, and I'm working very closely with the uh, Badminton Association Malaysia, especially through the president, Datuk Sri Noza, who is also the president of the Olympic Council of Malaysia, to open up more channels, so to say, for people to come on board. What we mean is this, we want to encourage, say, private clubs. You know, this is what they do in Japan, in Denmark, in China, maybe to an extent, where a lot more private clubs are actively uh, discovering, nurturing, training talents. And these clubs will eventually also be part of the feeder system to feed athletes into the, that, that one-route system, you know. Today, you can only go through state association or federal association. But tomorrow, when this, this, uh, this policy is being implemented, then you will see a lot more people, a lot more private clubs are training in their, you know, in their community, in their taman, in their village, in their states, you know, different aspects of uh, geographical locations or even companies setting up clubs. Etc. So all these will eventually be potential feeders. And you, know, you, you do the maths. The bigger, the wider the net is being cast, uh, the more chances we, we can get to discover the next Chong Wei. And we have a couple of questions here from uh, Raj Kumar. <laughs> Firstly, how can the ministry ensure that race and politics will not taint the current sports development here in Malaysia? Um, you know, we want to uh, select the athletes that can win a medal. And I don't think uh, that has anything to do with race or religion. So, Sports is strictly meritocracy. That is that is the bottom line in our ministry today. Uh, you don't select a person simply because he's the coach's uh, son or daughter or simply because of his or her skin colour or even her gender. In fact, we are going to expand our women in sports programme next year. So uh, we're going to train, we're going to select, we're going to choose people who can represent the country and make us proud, you know, irregardless of you know, what the colour of their skin or even whatever political affiliation that they have. 
Um, Raj also goes on to say Sukma and Rakan Muda were successful initiatives yeah. recognised overseas even. Any plans to bring these programmes back? Sukma is still going on uh, after I think you know almost about 30 over years. Uh, next year it's going to be in Johor. Johor. So next year Johor is going to be the host. Uh, but what we see in the past in the past say 10 to 20 years is unfortunately Sukma was supposed to be the uh, national sport sporting program to discover the best national athletes from 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 different states, but you know I'm just quoting from a you know an elderly and a, a very respected uh, sportsman in this country. And in fact, I just met him uh, two days ago in Parliament. Uh, he said this. He said, you know, Sukma has become a. A, 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 a construction carnival. So any any every time when there is sukma, the host state will say, you know, we need to build this or that stadium or this or that new facilities. I think uh, that is quite unfortunate. I've, I'm sure we need uh, better sports facilities. I'm sure we need upgrades. But I think the focus must continue to be the athletes and the sports. Uh, so it's it's still ongoing. Uh, we can improve it along the way. Rakamuda, uh, right now at the ministry level, uh, we are for the past ten years. Rakamuda has been relatively inactive, but it's still there. So, uh, beginning and from the beginning of this year, we have uh, created this committee called the uh, Rakamuda Revitalization Committee to look into how do we revitalize Rakamuda for today. Uh, I give you an example. In the past, Rakamuda was created in the nineties. In the nineties, they have a lot of programs. And they were very popular. Reason being, youth in the 90s have very little avenue and maybe even capacity to organize programs on their own. But today, if you were to do the same thing, if you were to do more of the same, you know, business as usual, I don't think it's going to be very popular because uh, young people today have much more capacity. You know, you, you just go online, you create an event, you probably get 20, 30 people attending that event. So, no longer do they need government to organize events for them in that mat in that uh, in that uh, what do you call it in that uh, aspect, just like in the nineties. So, what sort of shape Rakan Muda should take today? So, this is what the committee is discussing, and we hope to come out with a new paper and a brand new uh, Rakan Muda by the end of this year. We're speaking today with Deputy Minister for Youth and Sports, uh, YB Stephen Sim. If you have any questions about improving the state of sports in our country, uh, we're also going to be talking about esports after this. You can call us, 7733 2900, WhatsApp 018-789-8899, and of course, tweet us at BFM Radio. Be firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. I like, I like that voice. Who is that? <laughs> It is 6.48 in the evening. The person asking the questions at this point in time is our Deputy Minister of Youth and Sports, YB Stephen Sim. Um, and that voice was Joe Hashem uh, wow. to answer your question. And if you have nice voice. any questions at all uh, for the Deputy Minister, we're talking about sports at the moment, but anything really, you can call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. On the line, we have a caller, Robert uh, Good evening what's your question hi good evening uh, YB hi, hi uh, may I know uh, uh, have you and uh, Saik Sadat uh, uncover any case of missing funds uh, or corruption uh, during the uh, previous administration wow wow okay so that was Robert's question what so you see Lynn <laughs> sometimes it's not because ministers or some of my colleagues will want to point out to the flaws of the previous government but I think People, Malaysians, they want to know, which is the reason why they, they, they chose to vote 
you know, in on the fifth of May, on the ninth of May last year. So yeah, to, to answer Robert, one of the first thing we I discovered when I you know uh, in the one month our first month, Sadik and I we were going through the books and all, and then we discovered something very interesting. We discovered that there was a, a report that was unpublished, um, and that report was by the Malaysian Anti Corruption Aid Commission. Uh, not during our time, but in the past, last year, which says that the Youth and Sports Ministry is top 10 most corrupt ministries in Malaysia. Mm. Uh, I mean, we, we, are, we, we receive one of the lowest budget among the ministry, but yet we can be top 10 most corrupt ministry. So that, that was shocking to, to all of us. And then we looked through some contracts. We realized that some of the contracts were unfairly made, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all these are some of the challenges that we are facing. So in the past one year, our our key tasks were to really iron out these issues uh, in terms of financial management, in terms of uh, reviewing some of these contracts. You know, at the end of the day, we are tied by contractual obligation. Even though it was done by the previous government, we will still have to, you know, uh, uh, what, what it could, we, ha- we still have to be committed to some of these countries. But what we did was to renegotiate some of these things to ensure that the, uh, the government, which ultimately means the, peop- the, Malaysians, the M- Malaysian people, get a better deal out of all these government contracts. And we have a question here from Nikolai <laughs> uh, about esports. What is the nurturing roots for esports? Um, esports is... It's a very tricky thing because on one hand, when we talk about esports, a lot of people will say, why are you focusing so much on esports? Uh, on the other hand, if we don't talk about esports, then the esports enthusiasts will come in and say, hey, hey, what, what about esports, man? Um, let me just get it very clear. Um, the, the minister do not just focus, the minister and the ministry, I hope everyone's listening to this, you know, because this is the one of the you know, most common accusations thrown at the minister. The minister and the ministry do not just focus on e-sport. That's one. You know, when the government announced the 10 million ringgit budget last year, it wasn't for, uh, for e-sports. It wasn't for the youth and sports ministry. You know, people were saying, why, why is my sport getting so much lesser and e-sport, something so new, gets 10 million? It wasn't for youth and sport ministry. It was for another agency, mm. you know. And it wasn't to train up athletes. It was for the whole industry. It was grant given to promote uh, computer coding, gaming, uh, game design, etc. So that, that was e-sport. But in terms of our ministry, one of our goals is really to strengthen uh, e-sports Malaysia, which is the association, the national uh, body, uh, uh, governing body for e-sports. Because it is very important. Sport, every sports in Malaysia are governed by the national body. Uh, uh, FAM for football, BAM for uh, badminton, etc. And e-sport or ESM, Esport Malaysia for Esports. So we are working very closely with them to come up with a model on how do we uh, begin to train, how do we, uh, we are helping them to set up clubs all over the country. We are looking at how to come up with a policy paper on uh, setting up esports centres, esports academy, because uh, like it or not, the line is very blur between uh, setting up an esports centre and, I don't know, cyber cafe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, so we, the ministry is coming up with a blooped, uh, blueprint which uh, we hope to publish before the end of this year on uh, in roadmap but but you know at even at this point i i i really want to commend uh, and uh, and praise our esport the e-sport, the malaysian esport esports community because we do produce very good players 
we produce not only uh, players who can compete within the country but internationally uh, in 2019 recently we have got uh, uh, a silver medal our team Malaysian team in the World uh, Intelligent Congress in China and our women team uh, recently also in Shanghai, China they won silver in a uh, CSGO championship uh, we are talking about a, a world uh, level event so We've got the players, we've got the talents. I think what we really need now is to uh, design the ecosystem. And this is what we are doing very closely with Esports Malaysia. Um, and I believe that we have a caller on the line at the moment. Um, we have Ronson. Um, Ronson, good evening. What are your thoughts? Hi, good evening. Uh, basically, I have two questions to the minister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first one is, uh, how would you rate the performance of your ministry over the past one year? The second question is that uh, Malaysia, we are very well known for our individual sports like racket sports, badminton, squash, or even diving. But my question will be, what are the ministry's plans to help elevate the uh, team-based sports like soccer. We used to be very strong in soccer in the 1960s, 70s, but over the years, soccer have been declining even in the international stage. So pertaining to team-based sports, are there any plans to make sure that Malaysia we are very well-known uh, in sports? Yeah. Right. Thank you so much. Um, so firstly, how would you Thank rate you, uh, the ministry? And then the always the question of soccer. Yeah, soccer. But uh, I think... What is more difficult is rating myself and the ministry. So I, I, you know, it's not it's not a safe answer. But really, I would like to leave this question of rating uh, the ministry to to our clients, to the people, to to athletes and to youth uh, in general. So, um, Ronson, I think I want to throw this question back to you. What do you think of this? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, coming back to sports, um, we we are we are good in. Uh, the, some of the sports that you mentioned. Um, in fact, football, we just had a meeting this, uh, before I came here, which was why I was late, we had a meeting in uh, Putrajaya and the minister was talking about, you know, football. Um, and one of the things that we did, which was different from the past, was really to have a closer collaboration with uh, Foot- Football Association Malaysia, FAM, in our National Football Development Programme. Uh, in the past, the NFDP is is uh, more or less a standalone or, or rather a, a, a more separated program uh, uh, to, to the uh, FAM program. So uh, last year onwards, we said, okay, we're going to work more closely with FAM because they are the governing body at the end of the day. Uh, and again, it comes back to financial management hmm. because we realise that money being spent in the academy is not being spent well. So we want to ensure all this is in place. We want to ensure that uh, whatever we invest in our athletes, you know, they really feel and get the value of that, 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 that money. Not just football, we are looking at hockey as well. You know, hockey, we are doing very well in hockey. Last year, we, we got second placing in Asia Games and uh, you know our boys are doing very well. In fact, not just boys, our girls are doing very well this year. Um, so we are looking really at creating that environment. So uh, for example, in the past one year, uh, in order to encourage more because we know in Malaysia sports is not a very lucrative and uh, a very attractive uh, career option so what we did number one we introduced a healthcare scheme for all national athletes and retired athletes so that you don't have to worry about your hospitalization bills etc you know as long as you go compete in sports at the national level then the government take care of your health uh, 
even after you leave the the the, the service. Number two, we are also encouraging. We are also uh, introducing this new program called Track, basically to allow our athletes to explore. Uh, what uh, a secondary or an alternative career option basically to move them from their racetrack to their career track you know not all badminton player or football player wants to be a, a coach or, or, or sells badminton racket after they retire they may yeah. want to be a DJ for example <laughs> so we're going to so we allow the track program allows them to be placed in different sectors so that they also be you know but while they are training they are also being trained in other sectors as well and then finally we are also uh, you know uh, signing MOUs with almost now 22 universities all over the country uh, under this one state one university program where we allow athletes to you know, pursue their study at the tertiary uh, level. So all this is really to encourage and make sports a more attractive career option so that more, uh, you know, young people, their parents would allow them to, to, to play sports. And are you actually still seeing that sort of base level of interest when it comes to um, sports? Are people keen on it? Are people seeing it as a viable option? Because we're talking about trying to create all these pathways, sure, right? Sure. But without people interested in yeah, participating, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not the same. I think with the introduction of all these new schemes and policies for sportsmen, more and more people are seeing it as, you know, something, you know, maybe I should send my kids to 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 play badminton or football up to the highest level because by then, when he is playing football for the national team, he's also able or he's eligible to be placed in, say, one of the big uh, tech company in Klang Valley as a junior programmer, you know, and this is only available because he's a national player. So all these options and all these uh, new uh, fringe benefit that comes in, you know, that, you know ties to uh, being a sportsman, I think they are opening up a lot of opportunities and, uh, you know, gaining, uh, people are getting excited about it. We're speaking today with uh, Deputy Minister Stephen Sim, um, who is, of course, the Deputy Minister of Youth and Sports. We've been taking your questions and to everybody who's sending in Almost those questions. Wow. Yes. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. We wanted to get to more of them, but unfortunately oh. weren't able to. Uh, you've been listening today to Movers and Shakers on the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. Bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9. 7.05 in the evening and uh, we are going to be headed to the questions that have continued to come in, mostly about sports. We'll see if we dabble in the youth pool. But for now, um, we have this here from YS who wants to know, by mm. the way, yeah. thank you for sticking on. <laughs> You, you tied me to the chair. I have no choice. <laughs> we weren't sure earlier we were going to be able to get Stephen to stick on, but he very kindly agreed. So, yay. Um, YS says, uh, badminton, our only international sports that we excel at, I think squash is forgotten there, uh, still can't find Lee Chong Wei's replacement. Given the age gap between him and his nearest probable replacement is even more telling, um, can we talk a bit about our talent development? Um, we, we've got some really good young players. We've got Jin Wei, who is 19. We've got Zichia. Um, yeah, I agree that the, the 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 age gap is big, but you know, this this young this young uh, players, you know, give it, give give them one Olympic cycle, they're probably going to hit their Li Chongwei level uh, performance if you know if they train hard enough. So I, I I wouldn't say that we do not have talents. We have the talents. I think what we what is really important is uh, for you know the national association as well as the uh, national sports council to to. To really look into how we can maximize um, when it comes to spending money, you see, what happened in the past is that money is being spent, but uh, it's not maximized. 
So we don't see, uh, say, uh, you know, that's a lot of attention is put on Chong Wei. Rightly so, because he, he, he is our guy. But then at the end of the day, we only have one Chong Wei. So I think what we need to do now is to really, like I said earlier, to cast the net wider, to look into the different channels that we can come up with uh, good players. And uh, I just want to give you an example. The Purple League, uh, it's a private private badminton uh, league championship. They have produced really good players as well. You know, they have got uh, really talented players who, who will be able to play for the country if given a chance. And I'm glad that uh, since last year, BAM, uh, through Dato Sri Noza, the president, has announced that BAM will allow professional non-BAM player to represent the country as well. I think this is a very uh, uh, revolutionary move because what it says, you know, the message that is given is this. No longer the traditional sports association will want to hold the monopoly of you know deciding who plays and who don't who doesn't play they are opening up you know liberalizing uh, the platform so that more people can you know come in through different channels i think this is good in general like i say do the mets as we if we cast the net wider then chances are there will be more uh, opportunities for more talents to come on board our next question uh, comes from Ashar Hafiz. It's about the Olympics. Uh, do we have any special programs for uh, athletes and what mm. are the ministry's targets for right, it? Right. So um, we have, you know, the, the training has started. Uh, we, we've got podium program, which is the uh, elite athletes uh, training program, high performer athletes program. The uh, ministry also received an extra 100 million ringgit this year uh, as a development fund to prepare our athletes towards uh, Olympic game. Um, uh, we are looking at, you know, in fact, we even re- we tweak, we even retweak the allowance scheme for podium, the podium program. Uh, some people may not agree because we said now, from now on, you know, in the past, if you are a, a gold medalist, you'll get this uh, amount of money allowance. It's a monthly allowance. But if six months or one year down the road, you you drop to a silver or a, or, a, or a bronze medal, then your allowance will be cut by half and then so on and so forth. Uh, what we did this year was, you know, back at the beginning of this year, we said we're going to... Uh, Uniformize. We're gonna we're gonna equalize the allowance as long as you stay on the podium. As long as you're gold, silver, or a bronze medalist, then you get that same amount. Uh, because simply because some people said, hey, then what is the incentive to fight for gold? The reason being, this this allowance is not a medal incentive because you have we have another incentive. Uh, it's called shakam. The uh, you know, winning incentive. You know, if you win gold, you get this amount of money, forty meet forty thousand, and and so on and so forth. So that is the financial incentive. The monthly allowance is actually for sustainability, sustenance. Imagine an athlete, or, or imagine any one of us having to be reviewed every six months to a year and having our salary cut by fifty percent. You know, that gives an additional and unnecessary stress to our athletes. So these are some of the retweaking that we did. We want to tell, the message that we want to give to our athletes is this. Because sometimes the difference between a gold and a silver medalist is a subjective viewpoint. So what we want to tell them is this. The message is that as long as you keep a podium performance, a top performance, we are in this with you for the long run. I think one of the key problems with sports in Malaysia when I first came in is this. We, have, we, we do not have a long-term view. We are always about the next game. 
what's the next game? What's the next game? And I don't blame the, uh, the, the, the administration even in the past because like it or not, like, you know, like the session today, everyone is concerned about sports because sports has a very clear KPI. What is the next medal you're going to win? It's very clear. You can't hide that. So the administrator begin to be obsessed with what happened next. But what we want to say is this, we are not just going to look at Tokyo. We are not just going to look at uh, the next game. We're going to look at, say, uh, Paris in 2024 or even Los Angeles in 2028. I think a real sports strategy or a real Olympic strategy, and I, and I see this in different countries around the world, is one or two Olympic cycle away. You got to train your people to look at that sort of uh, time frame. You, you know, and, and you know, when we, we talk about badminton, Jinwei is 19 this year. Uh, 2024, she's going to be, uh, you know, four more years, five more years, she's going to be, you know, uh, she will be able to achieve her peak in terms of physique and, and performance if she if she's consistent in the training. So, are we going to just st- stress her for the next game, or are we going to keep her so that she can perform in twenty twenty four, etc. So, I think a long term view is very important in this sense. Um, and just. Finishing up the last few questions on sports before we talk about checks and balances, Um, we have two messages about skateboarding. So Kevin wants to know, what are we doing to prepare? And then Weying wants to know, um, you know, is there an avenue for a female-only skate program to be given a spotlight in Malaysia? Um, The skateboard, you know, we know skateboard is going to go into, uh, you know, uh, the the game soon. So what we are trying to do here is that we are open to discuss with the uh, Skateboarding Association. Like I say at the beginning, I think a lot of people do not know this about sports in Malaysia. The governing body of sports is the National Sports Association. So you can't send player, the government, even the government can't send player without uh, approval from the National Sports Association. So when it comes to training, when it comes to technicalities, when it comes to selections, we work very closely with the National Skateboarding Association. So in that in that perspective, I'm looking forward uh, to uh, working working with them, you know, to come up with a strategy to send maybe even our first Malaysian team to uh, to the game. Um, when you talk about women uh, skateboarding team, I you know instead of just focusing on women's skateboarding team in in particular, I want to say that you know next year onward we're going to expand. Uh, our women in sports program. We want to at least ensure that uh, a lot more resources will be put in to women's team because we know women's team is usually the ones that will get the leftovers. Yes. Right. So we want to say, you know, in fact, in the ministry this year, we have set up a gender mainstreaming committee which looks at how uh, the ministry spend our resources or, or distribute and allocate our resources. We want to be... Uh, fair when it comes to uh, money given to youth and sports when it comes uh, in terms of gender distribution so next year onwards we're going to look at sports not just skateboarding I, I you know we encourage you know I would be more than happy to support a women's skateboarding team but we are also looking at women football team women hockey team who's re- which is performing really well we are looking at women rugby team recently they've won some uh, medals so so women in sports in general definitely we have a question here from Lisa who asks, what are the check and balance measures in KBS these days? Um, for one, we, you know, open tender. The minister and the deputy minister do not sit in tender committees. We do not decide on, uh, you know, who gets what job. So, like I said at the beginning, you don't have to know Syed Sadiq or Stephen Sim. You just need to know how to get the job done. And then you'll be selected, you know, by merit. That's one. Number two, 
we have actually uh, allowed the Malaysian Anti-Corruption Commission, MACC, to place an officer within the ministry. And that officer do not report to the minister or myself. He or she reports directly to MACC. So basically, we are putting a watchman, a guard, mm. uh, right at our doorstep to look at, you know, every department and he has he and she or she the officer has the right to look through everyone within the ministry so these are some of the things that we are doing you know we are uh, and of course the declaration of assets um you know, this this is a general policy not just affecting kbs but also other ministry as well so i think all this is really to ensure that there is transparency and accountability when we when it comes to doing uh, our work in kbs and bringing it back to the youths because that's right. The other half of the right, ministry the that we half. haven't been talking Equally about for a while. important half. Yes. Um, so there is obviously this clear push towards more youth-centric policies, youth-centric right. amendments. Um, and that also means that there are spaces being carved out for younger people to mm. get more mm. involved, mm. more politically involved and active. Mm. Um, are there plans for, on the ministry side to engage and prepare youths for a more meaningful role in politics mm. Uh, mm. without also you know, mm. falling prey to this old idea of politics in schools and politicians in right, schools? Right, right, right. <laughs> Uh, I think one misconception about young people is that they are not interested in politics. Uh, I do not agree. I think when, when, when it comes to politics, what, what young people actually mean when they say we are not interested in politics, we are not interested in the kind of politics that you are doing. You know, racism, corruption, abuse of power, injustice, oppression. So they are not interested in that kind of politics. But as it is, even as it is, even without government intervention in the past and, as, and now, young people are actively involved in movements and activities which, uh, which builds the society. You know, I just visited during Raya this amazing group of people called, who call themselves Buku Jalanan Chowkit. Basically, they set up a, 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 a unit, an office in the middle of Chowkit. It's like a library. And they provide free tuition to not only uh, local uh, people who live in Chowkit, who are mainly from B40 families, but also refugees, etc. And these are all very young people, a lot of them below the age of 30. Uh, it's amazing. They do not receive government funding at all. So, so I, you know, even without government push, as it is, young people are already involved. But uh, I think what we need really need to do is to give the platform. What what is lacking is this, and I, I want to encourage BFM to do that as well. And I, I said that to the radio station yesterday. It's really they are already speaking their mind on Facebook, on social media, and Twitter and TikTok, of course. <laughs> <laughs> are we going to give them mainstream uh, platform? Are we going to allow them to come on TV? or they are not mature enough, you know, quote-unquote. I think, no, we should be allowing them to be opinion makers as well. We should be listening to them. What What is their voice on BFM movers and shakers? <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, we, we should be doing that. In terms of the KBS, I mean, if you, are, if you, if you really want to force me to give an answer, <laughs> we do. We do have a program. Uh, it's a new program. It's, it's going to be called uh, Skola Rukun Negara. Basically, a program which... Uh, which uh, what do you call that? Which disseminate uh, information about democracy, about governance in our country, about the different institution, the courts, the executive, parliament, etc., without being partisan. Uh, in the sense that we are not going to tell you which party to vote for. We are not going to tell you to vote for DAP or whatever. So this is some of the things that we do. 
MFLS, the Malaysian Future Leader Schools, have elements crafted into them, you know, elements about uh, citizenry, about what it's the responsibility, duty and the rights of being a citizen. How how how, how does our country's governance function, you know, the different political system in the world. So all these are tied into some of our programs. But specifically, we are introducing new programs such as Skola Rukun Negara. And I believe this is the last question we have for you. Uh, you have four more years to go. What do you hope to achieve with the rest of your tenure? Um, I hope that by the end of the uh, by the end of our our term, number one, definitely, because this is the first thing that we saw, the first problem we saw, uh, KBS was top ten most corrupt. I hope that by the end of our tenure, KBS can emerge as top ten. Uh, you know. The cleaners department. Cleaners, not just in terms of uh, no corruption, but also in terms of uh, performance, delivery. That's one. But number two, when it comes to delivery, what I really mean is this. I hope that by the end of our term, young people will no longer be seen as uh, merely uh, a vulnerable group in need of help. Because when I was in parliament, you know, these days I, I, I have to answer difficult questions from MPs. Karma from what I did last time <laughs> as opposition. So uh, some of the common questions when it comes to youth is this. How, did, how does the government plan to solve uh, social problems among the youth? As if when, we come to it, when it comes to youth, naturally and automatically they are linked to you know, social problems, crime, crimes, etc. I hope by the end of our term, young people will find their place and their voice not just as clients of uh, uh, counsellings and as a vulnerable group but really as strategic partner to the government in shaping the uh, the direction of our country and when it comes to sportsmen I hope we can make uh, uh, sports a, a more attractive career uh, for our athletes so that they can achieve the maximum of their potentials not only for themselves for the country but also for every Malaysians who are you know who have aspirations to see Malaysian flag race in not just Olympics but all other games as well YB, thank you so much for joining thank us today. You. Thank you. We've been speaking with YB Stephen Sim, who is, of course, Deputy Minister for Youth and Sports. It is our monthly Movers and Shakers Town Hall. Um, lots of questions asked today. Um, and thank you all for sending in questions, whether they were managed to you know, get answered or not. You've been listening to the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my, BFM 89.9. The Business Station.